0: Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health.
1: Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. I'm the content director at HealthyG, and you are listening to the Breaking Health Podcast. We're going to do something just a little bit different today. We are just two days removed from our Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit held in Boston at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. It was a great day. Uh, We had over 300 people in attendance. We actually sold the event out. And as I said at the conference, we set the bar really high. Our chairman, Robert Bittendorf, and our advisory board put together an excellent Uh, an excellent agenda and uh, put the precisely right people on that stage. But we also had many, many great folks in the audience. So you will be able to access uh, the content from that day. Not only what happened on stage, but I was able to do some individual interviews with uh, some selected folks off stage. So we're going to bring you a flood of content from the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. So stay tuned for that. Look at the Digital Healthcare Summit website com rather is the website and uh you'll see the uh you'll be able to access videos from the day to sort of warm things uh warm things up or start things off a bit though steve krupa the regular and, and much beloved host of the breaking health podcast and i sat down at the end of the day and literally went through the agenda and talked about the high points and the takeaways so i hope you enjoy this particular uh breaking health podcast it's a great review of the day. If you were there, it'll probably jar uh, some things that uh, that you remembered or or that you were hoping to remember. If you weren't there, it'll give you a sense of what we talked about, and hopefully entice you to come back and visit and and revisit the day uh, on it with our video content. So stay tuned for this breaking health podcast slash post game wrap up of the digital healthcare innovation summit. Uh, this is Tom Salemi, I'm here at the uh, Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, the tail end of the summit. It's been a whirlwind day. And Good job, Tom. Huh?
0: Yeah. I know this has taken a long time.
1: Very happy to have happy. you by my side, Steve Krupa, Steve of, uh, CEO of the Silos Group and host of the Breaking Health Podcast. And we're going to do something a little different here yeah. today. We're going to try to do a little post-game uh, yeah, discussion. Yeah, like post-game analysis. Yeah. So it was a, a whirlwind day. It started uh, in the morning as most days do. and. Uh, <laughs> I thought uh, Todd Todd Cousin's interview with uh, Larry Renfro was, yeah. was fascinating, just in the fact that it was how big uh, right. <laughs> is.
0: You know, sometimes you see a company that, that big, and you're you're uh, you're wanting to go do a startup, and you're just like, what's the point? You're just They're just at the going to kill line. me. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to kill me, and I'm not even going to remember I was alive. But yeah. uh, I will say <clears throat> that that was a business, very large business, built on I think he admitted about 80 acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So really, their their style is to aggregate, you know, other people's ideas, and so really they become an exit mechanism for investors. Mm -hmm. But they do kind of scare you when they throw their numbers out there: twenty billion dollar backlog, ten billion backlog, twenty billion dollar pipeline in sales, you know, second largest PBM. So they're really built pretty monstrous. Game. As a VC though, I
1: mean, do you hear the acquisition strategy and you go, hmm, that'll be a, a nice outcome someday, a nice exit someday for one of my investments?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the, the truth is, is that uh, you know that Optum is not in any of these areas that we, most of these areas anyway, that we talked about in this, this conference. They're not a leader yet in these areas. These mm-hmm. will be new businesses for them. They'll wait until some one or two of these companies begin to really show they've got a lock on, on something like value-based care. And then they'll go in and they'll, they'll make a deal, for right. it. and then they'll be able to you know plug it into, you you know the, the insurance entity, and that and then they will become a much bigger business. So they're looking at this conference as to where they're going to be expanding their business over the next ten years, probably.
1: And that's a nice segue. And we don't need to go down through the agenda, but our next uh, j- next item was the value based care panel. Yeah. Uh, great, great. You've talked to Steve Wiggins great. on the podcast. I, mean, I, mean, the I need to promote Uh Nice lady. So <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> He's uh, so optimistic, and, uh, and it's contagious. Uh, and actually, we talked to Jason Steinman as well. Uh, I mean, this is, this is something that's here. Yeah. I mean, we can stop talking about this, all this stuff, theoretically.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's small, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but the construct is there, and the will is there. And really, you know, as we learned in the interview with Wiggins on, on the podcast, it, it's an idea that's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's been advocating this idea. Now we've got a technology overlay that can handle the work. Uh, and so this is really where most of the future is headed, trying to figure out how to create episodes of care, contain the cost, and improve the quality of the outcome. It might be fee-for-service inside of that cost containment bucket. You might still be writing checks for, to providers on a fee-for-service basis, but, but an entity is gonna manage that process and they're gonna use technology to do it. Mm-hmm. And the probability of that being successful is, is very high. I, I would make one point. It, the interesting thing is I remember when we were looking at Obamacare way back when seven years ago. And we were talking about the accelerating cost of healthcare. Some of the ec- econo- economists that looked at the, those analysis said, no, technology is gonna come in and dampen the cost curve in healthcare at some point. They didn't really know how, when, or why, but they assured us that it was going to happen. When you begin to look at ideas like value-based care and bundled payments and so forth, uh, you begin to realize that, in fact, technology is going to come in and reshape the way healthcare is delivered in a more cost-effective way, mm-hmm. and and dampen uh, that curve over time as this becomes more accepted. So it's 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 very I'm very optimistic when I see this type of stuff.
1: And, and, the, and we talked a little later in, in the day about uh, interoperability,
0: interoperability. Yeah, and,
1: it's a tough word. And just uh, EMRs. Yeah, it, it was a nice presentation to start. And Nancy Dent, Susan Denser rather, sorry, yeah. from Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, uh, led a great discussion on that. But that's it's also something that's arrived that you can see. You know, there's actually a, a base of data that we can work from.
0: There's a base of data. It's getting bigger every day. We're learning how to integrate more pieces into it, genomics, mm-hmm. consumer information, sort of two ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and that's going to tell us a lot more about patients. And we know that it's a psychosocial model at the end of the day from the, from the patient's perspective in terms of how they take care of themselves and avoid continuing being very sick. Um, and who doesn't want to do that? Most sure. of us do. Yeah. But we don't know how to do it and we're confused about it, so if we can, can, we can coach people through that in the different ways by understanding their data and how to optimize that experience, um, again, you'll be able to dampen the cost curve. The one thing you won't be able to dampen, I don't think, is the cost of uh, hospice in the last six months of life, but there was a sort of a claim in there earlier in, in the day that said that if, if we could figure that piece of it out, maybe we could even save money there, and that's, mm-hmm. that'd be very interesting.
1: Good point. And uh, we went on to mobility and talked a bit about mobile devices and, and what it's going to take to, to find their way into healthcare. And I think it was interesting, the, the, uh, I think the number was that, uh, and I'm drawing yeah. well, the, the 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 it. Half of, you're right, half of internet service is now done sure. via mobile. Now, granted, healthcare is trending that. But what was also interesting was the the fact that there are users within the healthcare industry who are using mobile devices, even if their providers, or their institutions rather, yeah. haven't adopted it yet. I mean, the, the demand is there. It's just a matter of the providers and the company, the hospitals getting comfortable with the system.
0: Well, I can tell you hospitals are very uncomfortable with the idea that the, <laughs> that the mobile devices are being used inside of their uh, four walls and they don't know what they're be, how they're being used mm-hmm. and they're, they're not secure. So there's a great wave of innovation about how to secure that mobile data, how to create a, a surveillance network over what's taking place so that, you know, all sorts of legal issues sure. come and up as patient data is floating around yeah. in the airwaves. And, <clears throat> and so that's a big issue. Um, that's probably leading uh, the drive towards building these networks inside of hospitals that mm-hmm. the hospital controls in some way. But, the, like China. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, you don't, you don't really want to have phys- you know nurses texting across the, the basically the public airways. No, you're very, that's a very um, good point. While they're, you know, consulting on a case or something like that. So, these networks are going to get built. the the um, The byproduct of that is is you'll be able to be able to measure workflow inside of hospitals eventually by virtue of the fact that everybody's got a smartphone. We know where they are. We know what they're doing. We know what they've done, and we'll be able to improve workflow, which is really a, a big issue in terms of cost, staffing costs in hospitals. They don't really understand that well have a staff. They, they, they generally will overstaff uh, to avoid, you know, poor care, right? So the last thing that you want to have is a nurse unavailable to take care of somebody, but as they begin to get their hands around workflow, they'll be able to optimize staff for time of day, weather conditions, etc.
1: And uh, population health, we, we hit upon that and that was a great panel. Robert uh led that discussion. Uh, Peter Antal from American Well, Chief Medical Officer, really talked about just how much, and this kind of led into a telehealth, this telehealth discussion, but how much examination can be done remotely, and how you can really engage a patient yeah. with your phone, and you, and you can do a lot of diagnosing there. It's not just, it's not just a, a, a "how's it going" kind of thing. You can really figure out, and you can really see that person. He equated it to a home visit. I mean,
0: yeah, I would a think. Home visit. I would think so. I mean, you can't obviously do physical probing, but sure. you can certainly assess somebody's condition and. Um, I think that's going to be a very popular consumer product, and I'm looking forward to ways in which you can actually deploy that in, in more of a, a critical care setting. It'll mm-hmm. be very interesting as that begins to roll out. And Jonathan Bush. yeah, yeah uh, and I didn't see that, so I know. You, your You're job is to tell me what happened.
1: He was a little energized.
0: Yeah, he, he, always <laughs> he always is. He always is a coffee drinker like you and He I had I, a large so.
1: uh, iced coffee. Yeah. I'm sure there were a few shots of espresso in there. <laughs> And uh, he, uh, he and Brandon Hull, who uh, who interviewed him, uh, who was an early investor in Athena, have a really great rapport. It was a nice back and forth. But uh, he was, he was point about Athena was like, look, the tech industry isn't doing it. They're not building this cloud-based system for hospitals, so we're being forced to do it. We'd rather not do it, but we'll do it if we need to. Sure. And uh, and really, you know, was very evangelical in his approach, and really always energizing as as he is. Uh, so that was a, a great interview. And then we got into, uh, I had a nice chat with uh, Jason Gorovic of Teladoc. Uh, we gave him the uh, Digital Healthcare Innovator Award, and uh, he's our first recipient of that. And, and I think given, the, uh, given what they've uh, accomplished over the last six years, including a really strong IPO uh, in July, I think it was worthy. Now he's learning life in a public market, which is a good problem to have, but okay. it's very different than being a private company. <laughs> And nom- so how do you
0: get this award? Like, do you, do you get nominated by...? Well, we,
1: we have our internal system, and we sort of <laughs> look at the... Uh, we've had a few candidates, and we talked about it with our uh, advisory board, and we, you know, we, we're, we're comfortable with our, with our process, and okay. we think he was certainly deserving. Well, we deserving. deserve it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then we went, uh, the conversation, and you said through this, I think, the uh, analytics, and we talked about this in Clinical Insight, with Bill Geary from Flair
0: Capital Partners, I did interview Flair and Bill separately, but I missed this. Well, oh, it's start, analytics so. is it. I mean, my my one takeaway from when you begin to sort of bring everything that's digital health into one room, you begin to realize that every digital health product has an analytics component to it. It's a core competency for any company dealing with data. So while there are actually analytics companies out there, if you're a consumer engagement company, you're deploying analytics. If you're a value-based care company or a bundled payments company, you got to be deploying analytics. And it really is core to this entire industry that it get better and better at, uh, at organizing and, uh, and coming up with uh, information out of large data streams.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, that's here. And rise of the consumer, uh, always a great conversation. I talked with Harry Leiter from Walgreens just about their efforts to reach out, but uh, there's so much interesting stuff coming. And
0: Walgreens knows the consumer. Yeah. I, You know, I see all these startup health plans like Oscar that want to get into the health (coughs) insurance business. I think the question was asked if Walgreens would become a health insurance company. I think he said no, and then (laughs) I think he said, but maybe we would sponsor one. Mm -hmm. But but he then said something interesting, which is, you know, a diabetic probably sees their doctor twice a year. Uh, They see a Walgreens pharmacist maybe 20 times a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to, connect to the consumer in a physical way, uh, not necessarily solely a digital way. It's taking place in the pharmacies. Mm -hmm. That's where it's happening. They are right there, and it would be very interesting to see whether they decide to do anything about it. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, a lot of them have the clinics and such, and that helps helps sort of expand those healthcare offerings, but Walgreens is is using uh, digital technology to collect healthcare data about their, their customers, and they're just doing it as a way to, they say, encourage health and to... Get people to come in, to learn rewards and, and to save money. But at the end of the day, five years from now, they're going to have all this data on their customers. Now, what do you do with that? Goes so back to analytics. It's got to have some value, right?
0: Well, but the, the, so <coughs> I think Optum uh, pointed out that they they're bringing someone in from Target to help them with the consumer side. Yep. I That's think right. Larry Renfro pointed out that he is looking for uh, a, a, a doorfront or or a facade, you know, front entranceway into the consumer. He doesn't really have a, a storefront to his business yep. for the, with the consumer. Um, Aetna just brought in someone from the casino business to help them with their consumer, consumer That's uh, excellent. operations. So these health insurance companies are looking for knowledge and expertise in terms of how to market to consumers, right? Walgreens already know how to do that. Yeah,
1: yep.
0: And they do it well, really well. So, if that's the future of healthcare, you have to ask yourself whether they're going to stake a claim in a bigger space other than the retail and pharmaceutical side.
1: And they got right Aid now, so they've got some size and have to go against CVS. So that'll plenty. be interesting to watch. Uh, digital therapeutics. Uh, I did, Why not,
0: right? Yeah.
1: I had a great talk with Sean Duffy uh, at Amata. And, uh, you know, it's, is it tech or is it social? Whatever <laughs> it is, you know, he's helping people you know, lose weight and helping okay. change behavior.
0: And I think, you know, the um, the Breaking Health podcast we did with Jan Bruce on stress and, and uh, resilience sort of falls into that same category. Uh, what are What is the return on investment uh, for digital therapeutics for patients, uh, for employers, okay? Um, Sean Duffy has figured out that he should be paid for helping people lose weight. I think that's a pretty awesome revelation mm-hmm. that uh, he can document that his People who are losing weight, you know, if they're losing weight, they're going to have better outcomes, one way or the other, and that he's getting paid for that, you know. Jan Bruce should be paid for improving people's resilience, and uh, cardiac therapy companies should be improved for, should get paid for improving people's heart condition. If we can really create that type of a model out there, and it's tough to do, Mm -hmm. it's tough to sort of get everybody behind that, uh, then we're starting to have like a healthcare starting to look like every other business, right? where people get paid for outcomes and results. Imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. What a concept. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and, and we had Ulrich Mulder, uh from Novartis. On that panel, I talked to Carolyn Zimmerman, who's with DRX Capital uh, separately, which is a, a joint effort between Novartis and Qualcomm. So, I mean, pharma is you know, hip deep in, in, yeah. in this as well. So
0: I think there's a theory, and I don't know if they've touched on any of those interviews that <coughs> All drugs and therapeutics will ultimately come with some sort of digital product that's attached to it, mm-hmm. and they probably won't get paid extra for it, but it'll be just part of being... If you're on a medication, particularly for chronic illness, that there should be some sort of an app and a digital sort of helper to, to work with that. Likewise, likewise, if you put a pacemaker in, right, or if you had a stent... But there ought to be some support that takes place in uh, the digital infrastructure around those products. Yeah,
1: you would think so. I mean, you just have your phone ask you, how you are feeling today? Yep. You go for, did you walk up the stairs 10 times, whatever you
0: need to do? I mean, it makes perfect sense. And it should be able to tell you how some of those devices are working, especially at PaceMaker. Yeah, that's
1: a great point. Uh, I, 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 Ryan Stewart from uh, Lyric made a presentation. Good guy. Good guy He's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. I unfortunately missed that. Did you happen
0: to? it? I did. I mean, it was, uh, I think the, the message was, you know, a lot of innovation starting to make its way to the public market. I think the reception has been sort of up and down. Some companies up, some companies down. I think the public market understands Fitbit a lot better than they might understand some of these other models of care. You know, Fitbit's a consumer product. It's easy for a retail investor and an institutional investor to understand that as sort of an innovation. Um, but nonetheless, companies like Ginovalon and Evelyn have made their way into the public markets over the year. And, uh, We're starting to get some of these ideas that that we talk about in this conference to become ideas that public equity investors are beginning to think about. Mm -hmm. But the results to date have been mixed if you look at the performance of the IPOs, Some of them have done well, some not so well. And I really think that for this to be a big momentum into the public markets, they've got to start doing better. Um, Nonetheless, the M&A market remains robust. People can build startups and sell them for pretty good prices.
1: Which is always a good thing. Next, we had precision medicine. I was particularly concerned about that one. Yeah, yeah, that was my panel. So yeah, that's right. How did that go? What's your takeaway?
0: Well, I mean, you know, we we had a nice conversation. Precision medicine is an odd thing for regular people to sort of uh, digest. And I, I told the story of going in and getting uh, a maternal test and a fetal test when I had my child recently, um, and you know. It's not a good experience for a pregnant woman to be told the probabilities of various birth defects as they go through that. But at the end of the day, when the testing was finished, you know, we were told that there was a, a 1 in 527,000 probability of our child having a birth defect. We both felt pretty good going through the rest mm-hmm. of the process. Sure. So it worked. But the clinical interac- intervention, interaction, if you will, between the doctors and us were a little bit clunky and I think it's because it's a new way of interacting with the patients. You know, Doctors usually give you very high level stuff. You know, You've got this disease, this is the way we treat it. They don't normally start dealing in probabilities with you, at least not, it's not commonplace. So that's one of the clinical challenges of precision medicine. But the other side of it is, is that I think it's very clear that it's a merger of uh, drug development and, and diagnostic development with real computer science The computer science is so awesome that the biological science becomes a lot more certain. Mm -hmm. So the ability to actually develop the things that we're trying to develop in precision medicine is there. And right now the infrastructure needs to be built and we need to create business and and, and economic structures uh, to support uh, the promulgation of this technology to the marketplace. Which right. is, It becomes a business-building exercise, which is great for VCs, because that's what we know how to do. We don't necessarily know how to do science experiments.
1: And it'll be great to, I'm sure we'll have this on our agendas going forward, and we're going to track this industry, And I'm sure, it's two or three years from now. I mean, we'll I know.
0: could have talked to these guys for an hour. Yeah. It's very sci-fi, very Gattaca, you know. So <laughs>
1: Gattaca, nice mm-hmm. reference. Uh, and uh, I had the chance to to, uh, to talk with uh, Pat Basu of uh, Doctors in Demand, uh, which is, I mean, they pay their doctors. They're, they're they, The doctors interact with patients via their phones, but they're on staff. They're essentially a doctor's group. with doctors This is a great remote. company.
0: I, I love this company. I, I saw this company when I was when I was very young, in the very early days, and uh, I think there was a lot of people that said this isn't going to work, and God bless them. Yeah. They, they're making it work. It's fantastic.
1: And I know the concierge medicine has sort of a, a color to it, but this isn't necessarily, this is not something for well, this is someone who can afford $40 for a visit, Yep. but what's $40? You're missing half a day of work, or you are got to take a, a cab somewhere, or something like that. I mean, it all comes out in the wash eventually. It's
0: It's great if you can afford it, and if we can figure out how to distribute it down yep. through the insurance model, that would be even better. The insurance companies have concerns about this increasing utilization, yep. of, of unnecessary utilization. But, but, so if they can figure out a way to put some controls around it to solve that problem. It, it should grow
1: but it was an interesting point by uh, Teladoc was that they said if, they actually, according to their numbers, and they had a a
0: Harvard researcher
1: do it. Then they must be right. Then they must be right. (laughs) But the numbers are, makes uh, a patient who goes through a Teladoc visit is less likely to have uh, a a follow-up visit because many doctors will write the script and say, you know, come back in three weeks and we'll check up on you. That isn't necessarily needed as much for the, the teller visits. They, it's more of a, here's this, and they don't tend to have that second or third visit that can lead to more costs. So they say that, uh, I think it's a $700, $700 savings sort of per uh, per light manager or something like that. And I'm completely to those numbers, but an argument could be made that there is cost savings.
0: If there's cost savings, it's a massive home. Yeah. And I would imagine, from what I know, uh, the larger health plans are doing pilots to, 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 to make an effort to try to measure that. It would be interesting if they're able to do that. And if they do measure it, and there is cost savings, uh, this, is, this will go pretty far. Excellent.
1: And, and Lin Chow uh, uh, wrapped it up with a discussion about optimizing pharma. I got a chance to talk to Rick Morrison and comprehend it. I mean, clinical trials, if there's anything more murky than right. than healthcare, it's how clinical trials are managed and how the data is collected.
0: How the data is collected. How do you find volunteers? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and of course, the more terminal the illness, it's you know, how do you find a volunteer to, to jump in there? And that's one of the issues with precision medicine that we didn't really get to get into. But if you've got a new therapy for cancer, you know, how do you convince somebody to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, based on an old therapy, and and how do you find them in time to get them into sort of a trial? How do you organize a trial? So we're going to see a, a, a revolution and a change in the way clinical trials are done. And we hope that the FDA can keep up with that.
1: Terrific. Well, it was a great day. Uh, Our chairman, Robert Mittendorf, deserves a great deal of credit for putting this together. Good job. And uh, all of these uh, panels will be available on our website, digitalhealthcaresummit.com. So uh, they will be uh, worth seeing. I know I'll watch them again. uh, You're going to watch the precision medicine. I'll watch the precision medicine (laughs) for the first time. and, uh, but there's a lot you I think you missed the first time around, so I uh, yep. look forward to, to hearing those stories again. Thanks for the yep, recap.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thank you.
1: Well, that was a lot of fun. Both, both the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit Day and this sit-down wrap-up chat with Steve Krupa Uh, We'll try to do some more of those uh, in the future. And don't forget, if you were not able to attend or if you were able to attend, you can find the content. Uh, We'll have it up as soon as we can at digitalhealthcaresummit.com. So thank you for tuning into this Breaking Health podcast. Tune in next week uh, when Steve will resume his uh, series of interesting interviews with leaders in the healthcare space.